You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. have been going through the book of Exodus, and uh, we are going to continue our way through that today, and uh, as always, love being able to study God's Word and hear from the Lord with you. Um, would you guys open up with me to Exodus chapter 6? Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it, open your phone, share with someone next to you. We have Bibles in the back as you walk in every Sunday you can grab and use. Um, But Exodus 6, 13 through chapter 7, verse 7 will be our text today, and we'll be reading from the NIV. Um, As you guys, if you've been here in the books of Exodus, some weeks we have kind of larger swaths of text that we go through, and so we have some different people from the body who will read it. And uh, this morning, I'd like to welcome up uh, a good brother, Kali'i Yamashita. Where are you? Come on up, buddy. So he's going to be reading our text today. You can follow along with him, and then we will pray. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Thanks, brother. There you go. Good morning. This is a nice pulpit. It's very short. Perfect for me and Riz. And so um, before I read today, I want to wish all the men a happy Father's Day. That is Father's. And... Um, um, when I read today, Riz thought it was funny to give me the passage of scripture, I think, that is genealogy. So get ready for a lot of names, and I'm going to try my best to say them right and accurately, um, but there's another name I'm going to add to the list in the genealogies, and um, I've been doing this for several years. When I read the, 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 um, the word LORD in capital L-O-R-D, so all caps, L-O-R-D, um, I used to think it was the Lord being, like, emphasized, like, Lord, or Lord, you got to yell it when you see it, you know, all caps. Then I learned that it's actually the personal name of God, which is Yahweh. And so as I read through the genealogies, I'm going to maybe say the word Yahweh. I'm not crazy. It's actually in the text. But I would encourage you all, when you read the word, all in caps, L-O-R-D, to practice putting in the name Yahweh in there when you read it. I've been doing this for many years, so now it's almost like habitual that I just see that word Yahweh when I read Lord, L-O-R-D, capital. And so one quick example, uh, we all know, hopefully, in Joshua chapter 24, that famous verse that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you look at it in your Bibles, okay, it's going to be capital L-O-R-D, so it should be rendered, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. And so with that understanding, when you go back to Joshua 24 and you read the whole chapter, it kind of changes how you interpret the text. And it makes it a little more deep and a little more meaningful. So let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 6, verse 13. And pray for me as I read the genealogies. And it's going to be behind me on on the PowerPoint. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborns of Israel, were Hanok, Polu, Hezron, and Carmi. 
These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon, by clans, were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Ishar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, Sithri. Aaron married Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab, and sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Itamar. The sons of Korah were Ashir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These were the Korahite clans. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom Yahweh said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, this same Moses and Aaron. Now when Yahweh spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to Yahweh, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then Yahweh said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt. He will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as Yahweh commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Kali'i. Um, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for today. God, thank you for your word and the place that you have us in. And God, we... We place ourselves under your word and ask, God, that you would have your way with us. You would speak to us, that we would listen, we would hear, we would understand what it is that you're speaking. And God, as we look at this redemptive story amongst the, the children of Israel, amongst Egypt, we thank you, Lord, that that is a story of you working out your redemption through a certain people. We thank you that we are a part of that story as well. That we here, two thousands of years later, can stand and see that you are at work in our midst. And so, God, would you continue to speak and have your way with us? We ask that, Holy Spirit, you would anoint me, that I be your mouthpiece to communicate these truths to us this morning. We need you, Lord. We want you. We're gathered because you are our perfect heavenly Father. And we're your kids. We want to hear from our dad today. Speak to us. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, if you don't know, I have two kids, a three-year-old boy named Liam and a six-year-old do- uh, daughter named Eva. And Eva, uh, if you know her at all, if you don't, I'll tell you about her, she likes to just do everything, like everything all the time as much as she can. And she always wants to do more than she can physically do, whether it's age or size or ability, like she wants to do it. She's a go-getter, she's adventurous, and in a real amazing sense, there is nothing in her little world that she cannot do. There's no limits, there's nothing, and, and it's amazing. Like, she's in this young, you know, innocent, where like, that mountain, that hill, what time is it? I can stay up, I don't need a nap, I don't need to go to bed. Like, I don't know if your kids are like this, but it's with everything, right? There's nothing in her little world that she cannot do. Like if there's an ounce of fun or adventure or if there's a friend, if there's slight danger, she's in. Like she is into it, uh, especially if there's like a treat involved, even more cherry on top. Like she's in. A friend and a treat, whatever it is, she'll do it. She's a super fun girl. Uh, this is a picture of her from yesterday. This is like a great representation of my kids. So Eva is like anything she can climb up to jump off, she's in. She started singing when she was up there. She's just super fun. My son is also super fun, but he's like very much more introverted and like, just give me a truck and sister can do what she wants, but I'm just going to like go around the rock and drive my truck on all the things. It's very, very different, but, but awesome. But Eva, whenever there's a time when something limits her, right? When you have to go to bed or you can't eat that much or that's too much candy or whatever it is, like that's too high. You got to be careful. If there's something that limits her, It's not only like confusing, it's crushing and it's like super discouraging, right? Time to go, it's too hard. Like for her in her little mind, there shouldn't be any limits. I can do anything. And you know, when there's something like that she really wants to do, that this happens, like it's it's super discouraging. So we're from California originally and you know, moved here about three years ago. So we went once once or twice before we left to Disneyland. And then every year we go back to see family, we, we go again. And all that she really wants to do at Disneyland California Adventure, if you've been there, she doesn't really care about much except the Cars ride. That's all she wants to do in California Adventure in Cars Land. She wants to go on the Cars ride. And she has never been able to because she's not tall enough. Every year we go back and she's crushed by the fact, like, this year I can do it. She just became tall enough, so this next year when we go, she's going to be super pumped about it. But again, when it comes to, like, something that's limiting to her, she's crushed by it. And to be honest, that's what our, will, our, our world is filled with. Most of the time, for anything, you have to be qualified or equipped or trained or educated. You name it. A lot of times, you have to, really for anything, have a qualification of some sort. Be born into something, have this education, have this type of money, be good at it, have a certain ability, you performed well, and you get that thing. Our world is filled with limits, things you have to be qualified by. But as we know, like the best stories, whether it's a book or a movie, is when this doesn't happen, right? The greatest stories are when there's a loophole or an exception where an underdog or an outcast does something great. Shouldn't have done it. 
beat the odds. You know, super poor kid, all become becomes successful. I came in talk this morning. Because, like an underdog becomes successful. An outcast does something great. This is, the, this is the story we want to read. This is the movie we want to see. We want to, we want to vicariously live through it. Because normally, our status, our education, our financial status, our ability matters to do anything of value in this world we live in. This is the good news about that. That's not good news. This is the good news. It's not true of God when it comes to being used by him. Thank you, Jesus. And that is what we firsthand see with Moses in our text today and continuously through our text is that it wasn't because of Moses' ability, but it's actually because of his availability. Before we kind of get into that for context's sake, I want to catch us up if we've missed what's happening. I want to be reminded and recap of this, this great story that we've been in and what's been happening in Exodus so far, even that we're only six chapters in, is that we're caught up on this grand redemptive story of God through Moses and Aaron leading the children of Israel, the people of God that would soon become a nation out of slavery under the hand of Pharaoh, this brutal and ruthless dictator and the king of Egypt. It's this grand story that we get to be a part of, that we get to, to look into and study each and every week. And what we've been doing mainly has been following our main character, Moses, right, and his interactions with God and this journey and this adventure that he is on in Egypt as the children of Israel are, are trying to be led out of slavery. And we ended chapter five last week with things not looking great, actually being really bad. This plan these things that God had communicated to Moses, he had carried them out, and these seemingly plans of God that God had told Moses wasn't working. It actually seemed like they were backfiring. Pharaoh did not listen to Moses when he pleaded to let my people go. Not only that, he imposed harsher labor on the people of God, so much so that the children of Israel turned on Moses like a leadership mutiny and said, God judge you for making more pain for us. It left Moses spinning, it questioning God. It was not a good place. The beginning of chapter six where we pick up today, God reassures Moses and Aaron of his plans, but we really left off in, in, in a big hard spot in the story. And our text today, our section starts out with a genealogy. He just read it. And this genealogy here is the history of the families of Israel up to this point. And when you read it, when you come to a section of text, it can be confusing when read. But when you lay it out, actually as a family tree, it actually gives a, a great blueprint into Israel's family tree up to this point. About a 430-year span is what this genealogy houses. Uh, here's a picture. I know you don't have to read the names, but... What we just read, the end of chapter 6, laid out is this amazing family tree that shows who came from who and what tribe and what clan to get to Moses. And it's about 430 years that we have in this genealogy. If you've read much of the Bible, 
um, there's a lot of these genealogies. And a lot of times there's a real pull to just kind of skip over them. Read fast. Even today, um, there's a real pull to have just skipped over that part. But we are studying, you know, verse by verse, the, the book of Exodus, and many people either reading it or teaching it just don't read it. Just kind of go, here's the genealogy, this is the genealogy of Israel, let's go. And I was, I was tempted to, just because it's like, ah, what's, I don't know how to do this. Too many hard names, right, when we're reading it on our own. Maybe there's too many hard names, there's no real connection for us, so we skip it, right? It's not our uncles, not our aunties, not our grandfathers, it's not our fathers, if it's not about us, we become very disinterested in a genealogy. I'm sure you can relate to that when you're, when you're reading, possibly. But this is why this genealogy and all genealogies are important. It's important that we don't skip them. It's important that we read them and study them and look into them because it reminds us that the Bible is more than just principles and value statements that we should live by. But it's actually, what's happening in the Bible is the story of God weaving through history with people. Yes, there's things, there's principles, and there's value statements that we get out of it, but what it's primarily doing is it's recording the story of God weaving through history. And if you know anything about Israel, Israel's capacity to live well was connected to their ability to remember what God had done for them through the perpetual retelling of their story. When they would forget what God did to them with their own family, when they wouldn't remember their genealogies and what happened centuries before to their own people, they got in big trouble. And so the story of God is moving through each of these people at each time. It's so important that we, that we read it and study it and look into it and give attention to it. And for Israel, a genealogy is a huge part of, of remembering God's story with their family. Their story, if, if you know the Bible, was, was supposed to be told everywhere. Right? The story of their people, each year they would have festivals and celebrations where they would gather and, and everything that they did at that ceremony or that festival or that celebration would point back to the Exodus story. That God freed them out of slavery under Pharaoh. Children were supposed to be told over and over in a way that they would understand. Throughout generations, the story of God was to be told. And if you think about it, our whole faith, presently, is based off what happened in the past, in history as well. And for us, too, we have a story that needs to be remembered and recalled and told and thought about and spoken of. And that story, the foundation of our faith, is what God did through his son at Calvary 2,000 years ago. It's so important that we not forget the past not fail to remember what God has done throughout all of history. As much as Israel's well-being was dependent upon their ability to remember and to live out what God had done for them here in the Exodus story, we too are constantly needing to recall the story of God that has come before us primarily in the cross. 
And so part of a genealogy is recalling this. Again, I know it's not as potent because they're not our direct family. But for Israel, this was the case. Family history is really important because God had moved and is moving throughout generations and people groups and families are are experiencing the redemptive story of God. So next time when we come to a genealogy, read it. Don't skip it. Like put yourself into the story of God that's weaved itself through that people group. And again, I know it's not going to be probably as potent, but I want us to rejoice in the powerful, mighty, and merciful hand of God that has weaved throughout generations. Amen? It's a quick note on, on genealogies. It's important that we read and study them and look into them and rejoice in them. But continuing in our text, what we see here is that Moses and Aaron are continuing in their family lineage. God has moved, God has spoken, God is leading this entire nation. Moses and Aaron, their time is up. And what happens is they heed the call of God, and they're about to go before Pharaoh once again to continue to try to plead with him to let Israel go. This is what's happening. It's been 430 years of slavery. Now is the time come that God is going to redeem and restore and release these people from captivity. And God picks these two guys, Moses and Aaron. And in reading this, what stands out to me is, is two things. One is that Moses has an excuse for his inability to be used by God. Moses' excuse for his inability to be used by God. Number two is Moses' age at the time. Okay, so let, let, me, let me look at those real quick. What happens here is that Moses continues to give excuses to God for his inability to be used. We see that in verse 33 of chapter 6 this morning. But if you've been with us, this is not the first time that Moses has said this to God. When God first spoke to him in the burning bush, that miraculous encounter with God, Moses heard the plan. It was a good plan. And his immediate response was in chapter 4, verse 10, the same thing. God, but, but I can't speak. I have a problem speaking. You want me to be an orator? You want me to communicate? There's a big plan amongst the most powerful person at the time, the king of Egypt. And again, we're not entirely sure what exactly this speech problem was, but many people think it's possibly a speech impediment, like a stutter that Moses had. And in many ways, when God was telling him, now it's twice that he's told God, not me, in many ways, he was just being honest. I think he was just thinking about what he was supposed to do, and he's like, what God's calling me to do, to be a communicator, is not what I'm good at. I'm not a communicator. I can be a shepherd to some sheep. I can be a husband. I can be a father. I can work. I can tend the fields. I cannot communicate in front of a large group of people. Maybe some of you are like that. What he's telling God is that, God, I'm not able to do what you're asking. I'm not cut out for it. That's what he's saying. Also at the time, what chapter 7, verse 7 says this morning is that we see that Moses... He was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 at the time of God calling them. What that means, very bluntly, is that Moses is not a young buck. He's lived a lot of life. 
It's been hard. And Moses, for all intents and purposes, was old. He was. Like, he, he was 80, his brother was 83, and God's like, I got this big mission for you. And Moses is like, I'm out, I'm done. Like, I can't speak, I'm, I'm happy here. Like, I'm tending the sheep. He's an old guy, just lived a long life, I'm out. By others' opinion, looking at Moses and Aaron, and even his own admittance, these things, his speech impediment, maybe his lack of giftings, and his age even, these things could have, or in some ways, have disqualified him. He even told God that. This is not for me. God, I know you want to use me. Cool. It's awesome you want to use me, God. I, I see what you're saying. But, but God, this is what Moses is saying. God, I, I'm not qualified. I'm not equipped. I'm not the right person for the job. And what Moses is doing here is what so many of us struggle with when it comes to being used by God. Let me explain. An opportunity in your life comes up, and you maybe feel God is prompting you, right? Through the leading of the Holy Spirit, through answered prayer, whatever it is, maybe you've been praying and God answers something, or there's like a need at the church or a need with someone you know, and you've been wanting to get involved, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a burning bush, you know, calling you to like free a nation. It doesn't have to be that. It's probably not going to be that. But whatever it is, something happens. God puts something in front of you or your family. And what do we almost immediately do? We almost immediately just start with excuses. Okay, God, I'm too young, too old. Maybe I haven't been a Christian long enough. I don't really know how to share my faith well. I'm introverted, whatever it is. We all have different ones. We're, we're built differently. We all have different fears. We have our different makeup. But it happens to all of us. God presents an opportunity to be used. It's subtle, it's big, it's small, whatever it is. Maybe it's like you're just working someone next to you. You've been praying for them. And all of a sudden they ask, tell me about, you go to church, tell me about you know, what you believe in. And you're like, nope, God, not the time. Hungry, can't do it. Like, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have time to. We do this internally, like all the time, right? We give God excuses. And what we're doing is that through our own process and our own standards, we become our own judge and our own jury. And we've rendered a verdict to God. God, this task, this opportunity you've given me is not for me. I have disqualified myself from it. We're not saying those words and thinking about the process, but that's exactly what we're doing. That's what Moses does. He does it quick. He has time to think about it, and he says it again. He says the same thing to God over and over. God, you're not getting it. I am not the guy. I'm not the guy. It's not the time. It's not the place. It's not the circumstance, and we all do this. But what we need to remember is that we are all part of God's body, and he wants all of us to participate in the building of his kingdom inside and outside these four walls of the church. And either in the past or the present right now, or there will be a time when we tell God that we, have a, a, um, we, put, a, we put a no-go standard upon ourselves. Can't do it. 
Literally the opposite of what my daughter does. We do all the time to God. Right? For Eva, there's nothing that she can't do. All, all the time when it comes to us and God, we're like, God, I can't for these seven reasons. These are the reasons why it's not a good time and it's not now and I'm too tired and I'm hungry and if I do it, it'll blah, 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 blah. We, we rattle off the reasons why we can't be used by God because we disqualify ourselves. If you're reading the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire that we've been announcing, we're, we're you know, reading chapter one this week. And in chapter one, it starts off by talking about you know, the author, Jim Cimbala. He's the pastor of a church now. This is the story of, of him and his church. But God, it's the story of God calling him first into ministry to be a pastor. And the very first thing he says is, oh, no, I, I couldn't do that. I'm not qualified to do it. And he tells God, I'm not cut out for this. That's what he says. That's like the start of the story of this book on prayer. But this is our natural go-to. We assume we know what God can or can't do with us. This is the story of Moses. This is our story. We often fail to know and remember that God's heart, we fail to remember what God's heart is towards us. Here's what God's heart is. God doesn't choose or desire to use us because of our own accolades or our performance or our track record. He doesn't do that. He chooses to use us because he loves us as his kids and he wants to involve us in his redemptive story. Does he need us? No. Does he want to use us? Yes. Is it about our ability and how good we are? No, it's not. For Moses, like, he had, like, past junk. He actually was a committed murderer. Like, he had murdered. Not, not a good track record. He was in exile. He was hiding out. Uh, he wasn't a good orator. He wasn't good. And he was, he was old. I don't mean to bag on the old people. I don't mean that. I'm just saying this is a part of the story for Moses here. But God doesn't look at any of that. When he sees Moses, when he calls Moses, he didn't see that. None of that's a factor. And this is what we need to know about God. God doesn't see like our past, and, and our past doesn't define us. He doesn't see our past and go, ah, you messed up. Ah, you sinned too much. Ah. Our past doesn't define us. Our sin doesn't define us. Our giftings don't define us. Our ability doesn't define us. And our age doesn't define us. When God chooses to use us and calls us into his redemptive story, he's not looking at these things. This is what God does. This is the core of who God is. He is the lover of the outcast and the marginalized and the unloved of society. We see this most potently with Jesus all throughout the gospels. Jesus goes after those that society doesn't want to go after, that society doesn't value. Right, Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners in Mark chapter 2. Going out of his way to heal and save prostitutes. Going after the adulterous Samaritan woman at, at the well, John chapter 4. And so on and so forth. In the Gospels, we see God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, loving on the outcast, the marginalized, and the unloved. That, that, that's not the core of who God is. But it doesn't stop there. Right? God has gone, God has gone out of his way over millennia 
to choose people, the people that have been the biggest players and world changers who advance the kingdom more than anyone are men and women that are plainly messed up, broken. Not the ones that you and I would have chosen. They weren't the first picks. The men and women that God, over the centuries, over the millennium, have chosen are the ragtag, the dirty dozen. Those that have struggled in a worldly sense, they were not qualified to do these things. Absolutely. Me and you probably wouldn't qualify them at all. We would disqualify them by using, being used by God. But throughout Scripture... We see God using imperfect people for the sake of mission. He didn't call the popular, the rich, the successful to further his ministry, but rather the poor, broken, and faithful. If you've read the Bible, you know this. If you know the character of the people that God has used, it's incredible. Here's the list. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah, Isaiah preached naked. That's one way to do it. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Weird dude, actually. Weird dude. <laughs> Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. God used them all. These are the biggest players. This is the A-team in God's mind. Are you seeing this? This is not the A-team. These are disqual... This is, this, is, this is not the people we would pick. But this is the beautiful part about this. In each of these people with their unique stories, we see God's grace in their lives. And his glory was able to be able to put on full display because their lives required a lot of grace. And in God doing mighty things through these unqualified and unequipped and not ready people, God's glory was magnified a hundredfold. Chapter one of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, as it kind of ends, and Jim Cimbala says, our weakness makes room for his power. Paul would say the same thing in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace... Speaking of God, my grace is all you need. My power, God's power, works best in our weakness. And if we ever feel like we're not worthy enough, right? We're too, too dirty. We're too far off. Like, we've, done, we've messed up. We're not able, right? We're not qualified. We're not good at anything. Every time we feel that way, remember that God used a bunch of flawed people to share hope to a flawed world. And in him, we find renewal and mending. And the thing is, guys, Jesus didn't call the equipped. He equipped the called. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't look for people that were, like, ready and good and, like, 
doesn't mean that he can't use you if you've got all of those things. But it's not about our past and our performance. Because in Christ, it's about God's performance and his ability. And that's what defines us. And if we look at Moses, if we can learn anything, it's not about our ability, but it's about our availability for God to use us. It all could have ended here. Give God an excuse. And Moses was like, yeah, God, I can't do it. So use somebody else. Be someone different. It wasn't Moses' ability. It was his availability to say, okay, God, despite my weaknesses, despite my whatever it is, I'll do it because you want me to do it. And I want to encourage us this morning, as scary, as hard, as upside down it may be, God wants to use us for his glory. Yeah, we're flawed. Yeah, we're messed up. Yeah, we don't have it all together. But God does. And the spirit of God lives in us. And God wants to show himself beautiful through our messed up lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that it's not about, like, us. It's about you. And thank you that as a perfect father, you want to involve your kids in what you're doing in the world. You want to show us your, your, your power and your grace and your mercy, and you want to use us to the world to, sh to show others that grace and that glory. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to work on our hearts in the area of, of what we think about ourselves and how we disqualify ourselves or whatever excuses that we may be giving you, why, why I can't do that thing. We ask that you would you break those walls down, Lord. You'd soften our hearts, that we'd be able to trust you and, and believe. And God, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can hope, ask, or imagine according to the power that works in us. Pray that we would, we would walk away with that truth because of God's spirit in me, using me, using all my failures and my shortcomings and my inabilities to make Christ great in the world. And so as we worship you now, Father, we wanna, we wanna respond to your word by worshiping you, by praying, by remembering you through communion. We wanna take these few songs and we wanna remember you, what you did for us and how it affects and applies to our lives. So God, we give you the rest of our time and ask that your name would be exalted because it's worthy to be in this place. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.